Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Good morning again. If we didn't actually get a chance to meet, uh, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church. And, and it's an honor that you would join us this morning um, to, to continue our series called Me, Myself, and I. Um, doing a series on the, on the letter to the church in Ephesus called Ephesians. Uh, written by a guy named Paul, uh, hundreds and, and even uh, over almost 2,000 years ago. And yet when we read it today, there's so much in there that, that applies directly to our lives. And, and it's just so rich and full about uh, our identity. That's why it's called me, myself, and I, because we're looking at who we are in Christ. What is, what is it that God has done in us? And, and today, specifically, we're going to ask the question, what is it that he wants to do? through us. Uh, start off with a story. Um, when I was in high school, I was an eccentric kid. I was kind of odd. Um, wasn't, my school, it wasn't hard to be popular. We only had about 460 kids. I mean, everybody knew everybody. Um, so it wasn't that. It was just, you know, sometimes I kind of wavered back and forth between, between kind of super Christian you know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm super Christian. I'm up, up, I'm up, up in your face. Uh, I'm, I'm getting personal with you. I'm telling you about Jesus. And then I kind of waver back, back and forth between that and, and, and between silent Christian. Like, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to open my mouth. Uh, I don't want anybody to know I go to church. I'm just going to kind of uh, let that life be church and let this life be school. And I kind of waver back and forth. And, and one time when I was in my super Christian phase. I was witnessing, and I approached this guy. He was older than me, and I and I and I, uh, I looked at him. I said, "Let me ask you a question. Are you saved?" <laughs> Super Christian, right? And he looked at me. He looked at me, and he goes, "From what? <laughs> you?" <laughs> He's a lot bigger than me. I was I was a sophomore in high school. He was, he was, I was scrawny too, and he was big, and I and I was stumped. I didn't know what to say. I thought, oh, nobody's ever, everybody. I thought everybody knew what it meant to be saved, and, and you're supposed to say yes or no, and that tells me whether or not I need to go down the Romans road of salvation with you, or or congratulate you because you know Jesus. And, and he said, from what you? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> um, and I was just stumped, and so and so. Um, I didn't really know what to do. And so I looked at him and I said, no, from the devil, from, the, from, from hell, from eternal, fiery, torture, torment, man, you're going to burn forever. And he said, oh, I don't really believe in that. And I said, uh, I was stumped again. I didn't know what to So when I, I just asked the question again. I said, no, have you been saved? Have you been born again? And he goes, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't aware of any danger that I needed saving from. And so I just, I just left. Like, now I don't have time for this. <laughs> and I just went on. Uh, what I've discovered in my life is that if, if you don't have a sense that you're in danger, then you don't have any kind of urgent need for a Savior. You don't recognize uh, that you need... Like, like, for example, if we go to the beach today, which would probably not be a good idea because it's probably not going to be that warm, although it would be great weather for a cookout. <laughs> you know, you need it high 80s, 90s to go to the beach because it's a little cooler there, 
but today is going to be awesome, so make sure you're at the cookout. It's going to be fun. Um, no, let's say we're at the beach, and you go in the water, and you, you just lose control. You, don't, you get pulled out by a riptide, and you're drowning. You know, you're doing the ladder. You're just trying. You can't get up. You discover very quickly that you, heard that you have an urgent need for a Savior. You need a lifeguard to come and drag your sorry carcass back to the beach. You know? If, if, if you go home tonight and your house is on fire, you recognize really quickly you have an urgent need for the fire department. And you'll, you'll be excited when they arrive to put out the fire. If you discover someone is trying to break into your house, there's an intruder and they, they bust out a window and they're trying to crawl in, you will discover you have an urgent need for the cops. And you'll be excited when you see those blue lights flashing, unlike the feeling you have when you see them flashing in your rearview mirror. <laughs> my stomach sinks down to my feet when I see that. And I automatically assume I have broken the law. Sometimes it's not even me thereafter. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> but, but if there's no problem, then there's no, there's no apparent need for rescue. Well, today's passage talks a lot about the idea of being saved. But Paul knew a lot more than my high school self did about what it meant to be saved. And in these 10 verses, he, he tells us what we are saved from, what we are saved by. And then in the last verse, verse 10, he, he, he tells us what we are saved for. And if I can today, I'm going to try to go quickly through the first nine verses, um, which probably won't happen. But I want to get to the last one because I think this is where this is where so many of us in the church we forget about this one. We we understand most of us in the room probably that we are saved from something, and most of us can even articulate how we are saved, what we are saved by. But but when it comes to what we are saved for. I think we kind of drop the ball sometimes. So if you have a Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're just starting the second chapter, so we've still got five more, this one and, and four more uh, to go. It's going to take us through the whole summer. It's going to be awesome. If you don't have a Bible at all, stop by the, the, the VIP area. Let us know because we can hook you up with a Bible. We don't even charge you for it. We don't have a store um, that, that we make you pay for things like Bibles. Um, when we sell shirts, of course we have a store, but no, not Bibles. We don't charge for that. We didn't write it, so we don't feel like we should charge for it. Get it? Anyway, um, if you need a Bible, we'll hook you up. If you already have a free Bible, if you have a smartphone, just download it from uh, Google Play or the App Store. Uh, it's called Uversion Bible App. It's like 7,500 translations. If you speak a different language, you can find it probably on the Bible app. It's awesome. None of that works for you. Just look at the screen behind me. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Look what Paul says. He says, And you, talking to whoever's reading this letter, you, me and you, people at Ephesus, people from, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Have you ever been driving somewhere? And you are completely sure that you're on the right road until you discover that you're not. <laughs> Maybe even a better illustration is, have you ever been on the right road but driving the wrong direction? If you, are, if you did not grow up in Hampton Roads, you can identify with me in, in understanding this paradox that is Interstate 64. 
specifically in Chesapeake. I don't understand exactly why I get on the interstate when I want to go to the East Coast, I've got to get on I-64 West. Makes no sense to me. If I want to go to Virginia Beach, in my head, Virginia Beach is east, so I should go east. But if we hop out here on Greenbrier Parkway, get on the interstate, if we get on 64 East, we're going to end up in Deep Creek. And you don't want to be in Deep Creek. Because you have to go over a bridge and you'll probably get stuck. That's nothing bad against Deep Creek. Love, love the creek. Um, anyway... I remember, I, remember um, I was on the road one time driving home, and, and my mom was with me, and we were just talking. This is years and years ago. And we were driving and driving and driving, and I, kept, I said, Mom, I don't really know where we're at. No, we're on the right, we're on the right road. And we, were, we were on the right road. We were just going south. Now, sign after sign after sign should have told us that, but we didn't see any of that because we were confident that we were headed in the right direction. Maybe you're trying to go to the beach and you're thinking the beach is east, so I'm going to go east and you go east and you don't arrive at the beach. You arrive at the swamp. <laughs> What's going on? You're on the right road, but you're going the wrong way. That's, that's kind of the problem that, that Paul's talking about here. He says, he says there's a sense that the entire world is walking, but they're walking in the wrong direction. They're on the road. Everybody's on the road. But they're walking in the wrong direction. And what's worse, it's not just that they're walking in the wrong direction, but they're like zombies. They're dead people walking. I mean, long before the show The Walking Dead came out, Paul's talking about The Walking Dead. He says, he says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He says you're dead, and yet you're walking in the wrong direction. You're, you're dead. He, he, it's a way of describing the end of the path. This is what Paul's saying. He says, I need you to understand something. The road that you're on ends in death, but, 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 but it's a kind of road where you already experience the end today. The end of this path, the end of this way of life is certain death, and, and in a way, you already are dead. You, you, are, you are experiencing the result of that path right now. Paul says there, there's a sense that the world is on a metaphorical highway to hell. Long before ACDC. No metal fans? There you go. Somebody. He, he says, but, but more than that, it's not just that the, it's two there. He, he, he says, and in, and in some way you're already experiencing hell. You're already experiencing the death that this path leads to because you're dead. And, and not only that, not only that, there seems to be, Paul says, forces pulling, luring you to take this path. He, he calls them the first thing he says. He says, there's the course of the world, the way that the world operates now. The way that it is. The, the world that scripture says is fading away. There's a sense that it is luring us to go this direction. It's, 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 it's uh, all the ways that systems and structures and governments are arranged that leave God out of the picture. But not only that, it's also all of the ways that you and I as individuals 
make choices and, and live our lives in ways that completely forget about God. He says all of that's, that's coming together to lure people into taking this path. And, and it's real hip and popular in our culture here in the 21st century to, to argue that our desires or our aspirations found in us were created by God and therefore must be followed. I was, the, the, the common statement is, this is how God made me. So it must be good. But if we read Paul here, we understand that that's, that's incredibly flawed. And you don't even have to read the Bible. Like, just, just reason figures that out really quickly, you know? Like, I, I did a study one time. One out of 100 people have the psychopath gene. <laughs> but nobody in their right mind would say, oh, bro, you got the psychopath gene. God created you to be a, psycho, a psychopath, so uh, have fun. Look, we, nobody grabs a serial killer and says, well, you were just born this way, so go kill. <laughs> right? Incredibly flawed thinking. Some of, us, some of us in this room, we are born as highly aggressive people. We will run right over you if, if, if we have half a chance. We, we already know that there are internal desires and, 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 and ways of our personality that if we don't keep them in check, they will ruin us. <laughs> It will end in disaster. There, there are people who are naturally, uh, nat naturally dishonest. But nowhere in our culture, or really in any culture that I can find, is it respectable to be a liar. Well, I have the lying gene. Well, yeah, you need to shut your mouth. <laughs> no. Nope. Anybody in the room respect a liar? When you find out they're a liar, you're like, oh, man, I got more props to you. I got more mad respect. Why? Because we recognize that even though you may be born naturally dishonest, nobody respects that. Nobody respects people who don't tell the truth. Some of us are naturally offensive or naturally threatening. But just because we're, we're born with, with a psychopath gene or a lying gene or an aggressive gene doesn't mean that we should act upon that. Because Paul says it's everything is conspired together to lure us in this direction where we experience the death that's at the end of the road right now. And, and, and so, so the world, if we look around and compare ourselves to that, they're the walking dead. We, you, you want to, is that what you want for your life? It's not what I want for my life. Look what he says. He says also there's there's this character that he calls the prince of the power of the air. Many of us in this room would identify this, this, uh, this luring person as Satan, the devil, the adversary, the enemy, the evil one, whatever you want to call him. Paul says there is this sense that, that there is this spirit at work amongst people who see no need to walk differently, who see no need for God at all in their life. And so um, there, there is this... There's this sense that there's somebody behind it all that's luring and leading. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul calls us the God of this age. He says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they don't see. And it's like all of this is conspiring against us to walk the wrong way. And he says it's not even just, it's not uniquely evil. The next verse, look what he says. He says, verse 3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Like, 
we've all lived this life. You want to talk about, you know, how we're born? We're born like this. We've all lived this way in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And look what he says. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Everybody. There is a sense that the entire world is walking this path. And not only do they, do they choose to go the wrong direction, but like you and I on the interstate trying to get to the beach, so many of us, when we're walking that road, we're really confident that our way is the right way. So much so that our perspective is so, so distorted that we see death and we call it life. Or we see life and we call that death. Our, our perspective has been shaped so much by this path that, that because it's the end result that our desire wants, we call that life. Even though, in fact, it's death. So Paul says, I need you to understand something. The very beginning of this passage, we are all saved from this life. We're all saved from a life that is not really life at all. It's death. We're saved from, from this road that ultimately leads nowhere good, nowhere beneficial, nowhere you want to be. We're, we're saved from this selfish lifestyle where we are enslaved to our desires. That we don't have a choice. We are, we are bound to whatever emotion or whatever personality trait or whatever genetic DNA that, that we were born with. We are enslaved to that. And we're walking down that road. He, he says there in the verse we just read, even that we're saved from wrath. And some of us, you know, we we get kind of antsy. You know, you see people, you see preachers all the time we get antsy when people start talking about the wrath of God. Because we think that the wrath of God and the love of God are enemies. See, we, we, we think we have trouble with the idea because we have the question, well, how can a loving God have wrath? And, and yet there is a sense of how can a loving God not have wrath? How, how they're, they're, not, they're not opposite. Love is not the opposite of wrath. The, the wrath of God is an expression of his love. In the third century, there's a, there's a church theologian called Lactanius. I'm not even making that up. That was his name, Lactanius. Lactate or lactate. I guess he liked milk. I don't know. But he said this. He said, he said, he who does not get angry does not care. Look, look, here's the reality. If God can see the sin and the injustice and the oppression and the abuse that is in our world and not get angry, he's not much of a God. He doesn't really care about his creation. If he can see all the ways that we have created evil and all the ways that we hurt each other and not be angry about it. But here's the unique thing about God's wrath. When God is angry, he responds in love. That's what, that's what Paul will tell us when he says that, that, God, uh, that, that God sent his son. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. See, when God gets angry, when God feels wrath, he responds out of his character, which is love. Jesus, Jesus does not gain back God's favor for us. God has always loved us. God demonstrates his love, even when he's angry, by self-sacrifice, giving his own son. So, so how does this happen? Paul says, here's the, here's the picture of what you're saved from. Now let me tell you about what you're saved by. And, and 
let me tell you, man, these next, uh, gosh, these next verses are just incredible. It's this cat, it's like this waterfall, this cascade of, of language as Paul stacks one metaphor on top of another metaphor, on top of an analogy, on top of all these words just to try to illustrate the character of this God that he's writing about. This God who, when we deserved his wrath, gave us his life. This, this God who, who, who's just that kind of God. That's what Paul, it's kind of what he's hitting at. He's just that kind of God. Look what he says. And when we read this, really the only response is just to step back and say, wow, God is a good God. Look at this, verses four through seven. He says, but God, which is a great sentence, like it's a great phrase. Whatever was going on in your life, how, whatever road you were on, however you were experiencing death in that life, God intervened. But God, like, like I'm, not a, I'm not an English teacher, but if I understand the conjunction but appropriately, it's an intervention. It's, a, it's, a, it's an insertion of an intervention. You are walking this way, but God interrupted everything. And intervened on your... And look what he does. He says, but God, being rich in mercy. He's not poor in mercy. He doesn't have just a little bit of mercy. He doesn't have just a, a touch of mercy. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love, not a weak love. It's not a, it's not a sissy love. It's not a, it's not a little love. It's not a, it's not a pushover kind of love. It's not a love that gives up easily. It's a great love with which he loved us. And look when he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Dead people can't make decisions. Dead people are just stuck in their death until someone greater comes along. And that's what Paul's writing about. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And he's so excited, he's just got to go ahead and blurt it out real quick. He says, by grace you've been saved. And he keeps on going. He says he made us alive. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he says, so that. God did all of this. God found us when we were dead. He made us alive. He, he's raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ in heavenly places for this purpose. This is why God did it all. Before I really expound on how God did it, I want you to know why he did it. That's what Paul's saying. And he says this, he says, so that in the coming ages, which means the next age, the age after that, whatever's coming after that, whatever's down the road, 50, mil 50 million ages down the road, in the coming ages, God wanted to do this. He wanted to show the immeasurable riches. You can't, you can't measure it out. Yards, meters, miles, kilometers, light years. It's immeasurable. It's too big. It's too much. Too much grace. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How, so, so how does he do this, Paul? And he goes on and he says it in verse 8. He says, for by grace. Grace. It's my, it's my little girl, Ava, her middle name. We, 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 we named her after grace because it's such a great word. 
Grace, we, her, her middle name is Karis. It's the Greek word for, for grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. He says, he says it's by grace. The, the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to you and me. What we didn't do. Not only were we undeserving, but we were ill-deserving. We were dead. We were walking the wrong direction, experiencing the death that the that that was the end result, and God had grace. God gave himself to us. Gave, gave his life for us. Why? Because of his love, his, his, his grace. And he goes on, he says, this is the gift of God. We, we couldn't ask for it. We didn't really even know we needed it. We were so confident on the road that we were on, we didn't know that we needed it, and yet we got it. We, we didn't earn it. We sure couldn't achieve it. We just... Received it. Forgiveness, love, righteousness, truth, his Holy Spirit, the, the very presence and essence of who he is, grace. It was given to us. Gift. You ever received a gift? You ever received a gift with no strings attached? I love those kind of gifts. That's what he's talking about. It's, like it's a gift of God. No strings attached. Just a gift. By grace you've been saved. He says grace through faith, but faith is not some mental ascent, some kind of decision that we make in our mind to believe certain things. What we said just a few minutes ago, faith is, is not about something we do to make ourselves acceptable to God. Faith is relying on someone who is reliable. It's just, it's just when we say, I've got faith, we're not saying so much anything about ourselves as much as it is uh, our God is a trustworthy God. I've got faith in God. That, that's not so much about something I'm doing. It means I've got a God who can be trusted. I've got a God who's reliable. That's what Paul's saying. He says, he says we don't save ourselves. We, we are saved by a God who can be trusted. We're saved by a God who has given us himself, who has, has given us his grace. And we're not, we're not saved by something we do, which he, he says eliminates pride. You can't boast about this. If all the initiative is God's and all the praise goes to him, then there's no room for pride. And, and you know what? There's also no room for sell or, or false humility. Some of, us, some of us, we struggle with self-deprecation. Constantly telling ourselves we're not good enough, we're not good enough, we're not good enough. Look, there's no room for that when it's all God. There's no room. No room for pride. There's no room for false humility. The only response that we can look away with this, come away with it is, is, wow. God is a good God. He is great. And worship and, and, and awe and, and, and just constantly receiving his grace. You know, sometimes I think we, we think that grace is only available at the beginning of our journey. Like it's only for salvation. But once you get saved, man, it's on your shoulders now. You gotta work and, and, and keep yourself and improve and get better. Grace is grace at the beginning and it's grace all the way through. Grace to the very end. When, when we are in the, in, the, in the coming ages, when we have, as we, as we believe, we have been perfected and, and Christ has come, sin has been removed, the, the presence of sin is no longer. What does he say in the coming ages? He wants to show what? The immeasurable riches of his grace. It'll be grace then. Grace now, grace then. Look what he says. So, okay. 
Saved from this whole lifestyle of going the opposite direction than God. Saved by his grace. And finally, he says, saved for. Look what he says, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wait a second, Pastor. I thought the whole... For the last five or ten minutes, you've been saying no works, no works, no works. Nothing you can do. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You couldn't ask for it. You didn't. Now you created for good works. Yeah. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were walking this way. Grace has come. Now we walk a different way. And that way is marked, what Paul says, is by good works. But the key here is the order of the working. Jesus works in you before he works out of you. Jesus will work in your life. He, he works in us as his workmanship. He, he shapes and molds and, and works his grace into our heart. Then he works out of us as an act of worship. See, salvation is not from works, but it is for works. There's a big difference in those prepositions. Not from works. We don't get saved by what we do. But when we get saved, we do have something to do. Well, our, our efforts, our works, they are not grounds for salvation. But in, in a weird kind of way, they are the consequence of salvation. They, they are not the root of our grace that we've received. But they are the fruit of receiving grace. It's not... Our works, our efforts are not the means by which we get saved, but they are the evidence that God has done something in our lives. I just want to say three quick things about works. All of this has been an introduction, and now I'm going to give you the body, but it's real short. We're almost finished. We're actually, you can go ahead and close your Bibles. That's how, that's how close we are. If you believe me, say amen. Don't say amen. <laughs> three things I want to tell you about good works. You can actually... If you call ahead and come up, I'll shut up quicker. First thing, all work done by God's grace for God's glory is good work. Let me say that again. All work done by God's grace for God's glory is good work. All work, when it's done unto God, unto the Lord, is good work. You know something? God has some work for you to do. If you find yourself in Christ today, if you've received that grace, if you've been walking on that road that ends in death and and His grace has changed you, now you're on a different path. You're going a different direction. He's got some things for you to do. He's got purpose for your life, meaning for your life, value. All of it empowered by His grace. All of it, all of it, not, not, Saving you. We're not saved by our works, but we are empowered by His grace to do good works. Works works and grace are not enemies. Just like love and wrath are not enemies, works and grace are not Grace forgives our sin, and grace empowers us to work for God. But the catch that we have to remember is that all work, when it's done by His grace and done for His glory, is good work. Which means there is no such thing as secular work and sacred work. Just because I'm a pastor, I don't have a sacred occupation and you have a secular one because you work in the shipyard. All work is good work when it's done for God's glory and done by His grace. If you love Jesus, 
If you've been affected by His grace, whatever you're doing is worship unto Him. Whatever you're doing. You know what we need more of in the church? We don't really need more preachers. We, we need more accountants who see their work as good work, as unto God, as a, as a worship. We need, we need honest real estate brokers who understand that they are empowered by the grace of God to do work that is good. We don't don't need uh, more theologians to to tell us things that we're already not doing. We need need shipyard workers who are working and building and, and welding and installing equipment as unto the Lord. We need moms. When you wake up at 3 in the morning because your kid is crying and can't go back to sleep, and by the grace of God, you comfort them and get them back to sleep and lay your head down for the glory of God, that's a good work. All work, when done as, 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 as unto Him, is good work. You need it all. You, you are needed, you have meaning. You have purpose. What God has put in your hand to do has value. Do it as unto the Lord. What what you're doing is not sacred because you're doing a sacred thing. What you're doing is sacred because Jesus is with you. And you're doing it as an act of worship, which makes stapling sacred. Makes filing sacred. Makes driving kids to their soccer game sacred. Holy. It's a good work. Number two. Either discover the good work God has set before you or infuse your current works with His grace. You see, some of us, we need to take this week and we need to pray and we need to think and we need to consider and we need to get some advice and some godly counsel to to ask God, God, what are the things you would want me to do? What's the good work you want me to do? Some of you, you need to volunteer in the church. That's the good work that he's extending for you to do. What God, what is it? And sometimes it starts with an internal desire. I, I love high school kids. I love getting together with other women. I love leading a small... I love to serve the poor. You start with this internal desire that God has laid on your heart. You say, maybe that's the beginning of the good works that he's calling me to do. Maybe that's his grace drawing me into purpose and meaning. Others of us, we need. We don't need to discover what we need to do. We need to ask God to infuse what we're doing with His grace. How can I? How can I infuse the job that I already have with the grace of God, so that I can do the work that He has called me to do? How can I infuse the grace of God to love my boss who drives me crazy? How can I? How can I infuse? that the cubicle that I sit in with the grace of God so that I don't go crazy and insane? How do I infuse the grace of God at work so that the person that sits next to me doesn't doesn't make me punch them in the throat? How can I infuse the great how can I infuse the grace of God into my marriage? How can I infuse the grace of God into my relationship with my children? How can I how can I love and serve here and now without a funky attitude but, but, it, but, but loving God and loving people how can I how can I do that and you might say that sounds really hard yeah we serve a guy whose good work was to get murdered it's going to be hard that's why we have grace that's 
why grace empowers us to do good works. Number three is the last one. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do. God doesn't need God is God is God all by himself. He doesn't need your help. God wants something done. He's God. He can do it. So God doesn't need your good work, but your neighbor does. Listen, listen, we're gathering, uh, we're, we're, we're gathering stuff for our goodie pail giveaway that we're doing in July. Listen, God doesn't need a goodie pail. God doesn't need a bunch of snacks and a $5 toy, but the kid who's growing up without a dad does. God doesn't need it, but our neighbor does. God doesn't need us to run an honorable company, but our customers sure do. God, God doesn't need us to go buy him groceries, but the single mom probably does. See what I'm saying? Like God doesn't need your work, but your neighbor does. God doesn't, God doesn't need you to love your neighbor. If he wants to love on your neighbor, he's more than capable of doing it himself. But your neighbor sure can use you loving on them. These are things that our neighbors need, and it's and it's one of the ways that God uses us to love them and show them the love that Jesus has for all of us. And again, it's not because we do that so God will love us, because he's already loved us. We don't do it because so God would, would be pleased with us, with us, because in Christ, he is already pleased with us. We don't do it to, to earn his grace, because it's already been freely given as a gift. And when we approach the world from that mindset that, that we are saved from this lifestyle, we are saved by His grace, and yeah, we are saved for some good works. It, it frees us to, to love and, and serve people by the grace of God. So I would ask you the same question that I asked my friend in high school. I didn't really know, and I didn't understand the full implications of the question. Are you saved? Are you saved from a world that's going headlong determined in the wrong direction? Have you given up on the idea of saving yourself? Or have you given up on the idea of working so that God would love you and appreciate you and bring you into His family and you're just saved by His grace? Don't forget, are you saved for some good works? Are you asking God, God, what, what are you putting in my hands to do? Empowered by your grace as a result of your grace. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, as we, as we uh, read this passage together today, I pray that it would just soak into our hearts. Some of us today, God, we need to see that we're on this road that, that the, the entire world seems to be going down. And that even right now, we're experiencing the end result of that way of life. We are spiritually dead. And yet we find ourselves in a church with the grace of God has been, has been lifted up and exalted. And we feel your Holy Spirit tugging and pulling and, and, and creeping into our heart, making us aware. And, and today, God, may we be saved by your grace. Some of us, God, we're, we're in that position. We've been trying to save ourselves for so long. We've been trying to work, be good enough, be tough enough. We've been trying to earn your approval. And today, we just need to accept that it's a gift. Your grace is freely given. 
not by our own. So we don't have a place to boast and we don't have a place to be self-deprecating. And yet there are a lot of us in this room, we've experienced all those, and yet we find ourselves not really understanding that we are saved for a purpose, for a reason. That there are some good works that you would have us do for our neighbors. We are saved for what we can do. Love you, Jesus. Today, if that's you, close out in prayer. You find yourself in that position. Pastor Josh, I'm, I recognize I'm on that road. I'm headed down that direction. Uh, and today, man, I feel the, the grace of God grabbing me. Aware of all of that. I need to turn around. Listen, friend, you can't turn around. Again, this isn't something you do. His grace, if it's extended to you right now, His grace is empowering you to order your life after His. This is much less a decision for Christ as it is a walk after Christ. This isn't just a one-time decision that you make today. This is a lifestyle that you walk the way Jesus walked. It doesn't mean there's a bunch of rules and regulations for you to measure up to. You're You're getting off course. It's living in the grace of God day by day, by day. If that's you, friend, I want to encourage you just to just to, just to surrender. Turn around. His grace is empowering you to turn and go a different direction. Would you pray with me? If that's you, would you just pray? Would you say, Jesus, today by your grace, I turn around. I no longer want to walk this way. Empower me with your grace to walk a different way. Not to walk away from you, but to walk to you. Not to walk leaving you out of the picture, but to walk in the power of your grace. I might not get it all right, and I know you don't expect me to, but as long as I keep walking to you, I'll be good. As long as I keep experiencing your grace that you just keep dishing out. Others of us in the room, we need to ask God, God, what would you have me do? As you just, just pray, God, what would you have me do? Just ask him right now, Lord, what is the good work that you would have? I have been saved by your grace for something. Lord, would you just reveal that to me by your Holy Spirit? Is it a a volunteer role in the church? Is it reaching out to the neighbor beside of you? Is Is it to infuse your marriage with the grace of God? What is the good work that he's calling you to do? Lord, would you just by the Holy Spirit just just speak to us, reveal to us right here and right now what it is that you're calling us to do? What is the good work that you've laid before us? Jesus, give us the faith, the the understanding that you are reliable, that we can rely on you to go through with wherever we're at on this journey. We love you, Jesus. Pray, ask it in your name. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner 
to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.